0: consider talking to your accountant first they've often seen a lot of small businesses go through their books and they've seen some of the basic things that can go wrong so they're a little bit less risk averse and possibly a bit cheaper than lawyers don't talk to a UK tax lawyer about US sales tax that's just a silly thing to do. Welcome to the 10k collective podcast for six seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash EVA. Job number one for any business owner is keep your business alive and thriving. And part of that responsibility is to avoid or at least reduce risk. So in this episode, we'll share six ways smart business owners are doing just that. Jason, are you ready to jump into this fun topic?
1: I love this topic. This is a good one. And, you know, I think people approach life with two things uh, psychologically, either or desire to avoid risk, you know, so that we, we either avoid drama, pain, problems or we want to go for, you know, increase abundance, you know, income, whatever. And so this is more on the side of avoiding drama and, you know, and pain. So, but I think it's going to be a good conversation. And we've got six tips here for people who can really, I think all of these are really applicable for every business type and business model. So yeah, I'm really excited about this one.
0: One of those things where it can feel, what's the word? not sexy not attractive not like a real entrepreneurial behavior that's for ordinary people i would i would beg to differ the most famous british entrepreneur i can think of right off the top of my head is richard branson and he's very very reducing risk he's famously you know actually very seems like a risk-on person he's flown weather balloons up to ridiculous heights he's always done crazy sporty things but for example when he bought uh when he went into the airline industry which is famous for losing people money he reduced the risk by going to saying to boeing like if we don't need these planes we're going to give them back to you after A year. So he thought about reducing risk before he even started the business going. And of course, that's why he's got multiple successful businesses. So I really would urge anyone listening who thinks that it's not smart or sexy or entrepreneurial to reduce risk to really rethink.
1: Yeah, I love his approach to that kind of thing. He's very down to earth, actually, isn't he? He You know, even his story about buying Necker Islands for so cheap, but then wanting it to be profitable. So he has events that happen there and it's turned into this you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous destination type location, but he's made it make sense financially as well. So yeah. anyway, this is a, this is a, that's a good, uh, good example for people. And I love his uh, writing as well. So people should check him out.
0: Okay. Absolutely. So, so six ways to avoid or reduce risk. Yeah. Um, this is very much your, your work, by the way, I've got to be uh, honest about that up front and I know you've got a profit sure. workshop coming up. So this is really your focus right now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So well, what's way number one then?
1: Yep, the first way to avoid risk, in my view, is to upgrade your financial operating system. And what do I mean by that? All of us have systems we use in our business, and our financial operating system sometimes, as kitchen table entrepreneurs, can come straight out of our personal work habits and work life, and checking a, checking a checkbook, pro, you know, practices and that kind of thing. We just we poured all that over into business, and we think, well. You know, I haven't starved as an adult, and so I, you know, I, I can apply basic financial logic to my business. But the more you study and the more you look at really amazing entrepreneurs who have scaled to, you know, multi millions, hundreds of millions, billions, what you find is that they operate with a financial operating system that is um, world class. And, and and that is this, that is what has allowed them to unlock massive value for themselves in their business and to reduce risk radically. Now, sometimes people, you know, get too fancy and they're too smart by half and they try to fly too high and they end up ruining themselves. And that, of course, would be the opposite of what we're proposing here. But what we're saying is that they're financial practices that you need to learn and adapt and implement into your business, and that first step is one of the primary ways that you reduce risk. And how does it reduce risk? Well, w- one of the things, and I, I remember from being, uh, you know, kitchen table entrepreneur two thousand seven and two thousand eight and eBay, one of the things that you just don't know at the very beginning is whether your business is even going to work financially. How to approach it financially even the the basic mechanics of how should you be setting yourself up the uh, the process of learning that basic business operating financial system i think is a crucial first step and it really allows you to take risk off the table real risk in in the real world but also just mental fear and the fear of ruining your business or the fear of losing your business because you don't know what you're doing financially so there you have it first first way to reduce risk
0: i like this a lot i think a couple of thoughts first of all to the idea of getting too clever and ruining ourselves i think that the story of icarus comes to mind so obviously one of the greek myths icarus's dad said to him don't do this but icarus is a very ambitious young man he wanted to fly as high as the sun and he created some kind of um wings with feathers and held together with wax and his dad said don't do it and he flew too high the sun melted the wax he fell to the sea and drowned so now the traditional story is it's a lesson in hubris like you know don't get above yourself but an engineer would say it's an, a lesson in the ineffectiveness of waxes and adhesive for wings <laughs> under aerodynamic stress and yeah. i would say you can fly very very high if you really 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 know what you're doing and the, the point is to mm-hmm. make sure if you're going to fall into the sea because wax turns out not to be a great adhesive do it from ten feet up, not ten thousand. So, oh, well. I, in other words, I let's get there in stages. A couple of more pragmatic thoughts. First of all, cash flow projections are, are not a sexy word, maybe for most of us, and everyone should definitely get profit and loss measurement in place in in the first instance, and that's often the, the most important thing. Yeah. But cash flow projection is not a not a thing that only fancy businesses need. If you're in e-commerce and you've got physical products, which many of us have, myself included, then you really are tying up so much cash that you need to know what's going to be happening with your cash needs over the next few months, because quite likely you're going to get to a point where the funding runs out. And if you don't see that coming, then you won't be able to get a loan from the bank very last minute because banks don't lend to you when you need it. They lend it to you when you don't need it. And if they see that you're not managing your finances, they're also very unlikely to lend to you. So that's one of the most important things you just need to project forwards, you know, at least a quarter, preferably six months, then see what your funding needs are and then go and get your funding or Dial back your plans <laughs> so that you don't blow your business up.
1: No, I love that. I totally agree. Love the Icarus example. That is awesome. You're totally right. It, it is about the engineering of it. And this is uh, businesses are built on financial engineering. And that's just as simple as it is. And the better you are at a fi- being a financial engineer, the better you can do. And so I, I think that's an important first suggestion. Okay, so the second, second way to reduce risk is manage debt more wisely. And I didn't say... Eliminate debt, although some people would have that preference and that would be their desire. And great, that's fine. I, you know, I have business people that talk to all the time that have different opinions. But my fundamental, you know, comment would be manage your debt more wisely. And that means if you have any debt that's uh, super high interest and you want to, you want to migrate that to lower interest, better terms. Sometimes you have obligations that you actually can get out of completely. So, for example, if you have to use, for example, just as an example, you have to a minimum order quantity for your inventory and you're using a credit card, but you don't really get the payments done all the time every month. So, you end up carrying a balance. Well, what if you ask the vendor for 90 or some other favorable terms? You know, sometimes if we just manage our debt differently, we can literally... You know, free up tons of cash flow and, and reduce risk in our business. So these are the, the objects of attention inside this whole category of managing debt. And again, some people would be like, hey, I don't want any debt. So I hate this. Well, that's fine. That's your maximally safe managing of your debt. Other people would say, hey, I'm taking a big loan and I know exactly what I'm doing and it's amazing terms. I know a lot of people right now are working on the idle loans in the U.S. and, you know, working through that process. So, fair enough. Other people will take a a mortgage strategically to buy a building, which lowers their, you know, rent payments, that kind of thing for the facility. So, all of that, in my view, comes under this big topic of managing your debt more wisely and really understanding how to do it well and do it safely if you're going to use leverage in your business.
0: Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of wisdom there. I mean, on the basic idea of debt or not debt, I guess debt increases financial risk most of the time, although I, I'd like to nuance that in a second. But I would say there's always financial risk. So I, I suppose it depends why you're not doing it. I mean, I know some people have moral arguments with it. I don't know anyone in the UK, by the way. I think that's a US thing. I think in the UK, we, <laughs> we use debt uh, or we don't use debt. But I would say one thing you mentioned that's really important, vendor finance or Supplier debt or supplier credit, maybe let's use the word credit. that's yeah. a really the best type of debt because obviously they're in the same boat as you they want you to succeed because you'll buy more of their stuff so it's really really good also it tends to be interest free so it's effectively you know free money and the thing is if you're importing from from china certainly but also in other situations you may find that the factories are reasonably free with credit in a level that a, a bank or any other lender would never be so the best thing you can do is to, as you said negotiate with your, your suppliers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely right yeah I argue there's one place where i think debt decreases risk which is when i was saying if you if you project your cash flow and you see you're going to be you know ten thousand dollars short of money in you know september typically or um, august if you're ordering for q4 from china for example then it's actually riskier to your business than having debts that you pay off at over you know fairly low monthly payment over a period of time i would argue i mean and these things you've got to calculate Mm. for yourself but there are situations where having being underfunded is the thing that's going to kill your business, not debt necessarily.
1: Well, the question that you've just sussed out is what is the risk you're reducing? Is it short-term risk or long-term risk? Mm -hmm. So, and Mm -hmm. there's a big difference because, you know, you can have an amazing, absolutely fantastic business that is a cash machine but if it doesn't help you pay your staff next monday when you owe them their paychecks and they all quit on you then you have a short term you know crisis so this is the you know the the business of the boss to say you know what what risk am i what risk am i currently resolving and what are the other risks out there i think that this is a good point for me i think in the conversation i mentioned one book as a resource for people, and that is Nicholas Nassim Taleb's book, *The Black Swan: Impact of the Highly Improbable*. If you haven't read his stuff, it's a great book to 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 read. His other book, *Fooled by Randomness*, and then Anti-Fragile, are all books that are super pop, you know popular you know in the trade publications for business and worth listening to or reading. The Black Swan thesis is basically um, there are things, as Donald Rumsfeld said, that you don't know you don't know. And when those hit you in the face in your business, it can ruin you. And so, you know, he has a whole framework of how to understand that and think about it. And so, anyway, I, I do think that's something for us to think through is this short term, long term, and highly improbable you know, risks that we have to manage as a business. So anyway, let's keep going on our list here. But any other thoughts on that or response
0: to? to Yeah, just a quick talking of levels of risk with debt. I think there are from low risk to high risk for you as a business Mm owner. Receivables purchased, so they'll take money back out of it when you earn it. That's expensive for you because it's lower risk to you, but higher risk to the lender. Mm -hmm. Unsecured loans on a repayment schedule. So you've got to hit the repayments. But if you don't, they can't take anything from you as collateral. Secured loans on your business assets, which is much more serious. And secure loans on your personal assets such as your family home. And obviously those need to be entered into with extreme circumspection. (laughs) But I do know, frankly, that the business owners, I know that, that take on serious debt in order to scale a lot often do have that. They're just very Mm -hmm. mindful about it. And they've Mm -hmm. sat down with their chief, um, you know, financial officer or, or, you know, financial director and really, really thought it through before they said yes.
1: All right, let's keep going here. Tip number three to reduce risk is upgrade your CPA or tax professional. Now the this one and the next one after it follows on is uh, similar, but let me just suss out the difference here uh, and speak for one moment about your your tax professional or as they say in the UK your what do they, what do they call it? Your what's your name for CPA? Chartered accountant, chartered accountant yeah, yeah. in this in the UK. So the upgrade of your chartered accountant in or CPA in my view is one of the smartest moves rookie business people can make. Frequently, we have a situation where, you know, maybe we've had a decent income in a nine to five job and we have had the practice of having someone else do our taxes. And when we start a business, we just logically go to that person and say, Hey, I, I'm starting a business. I started selling this year, whatever. And they walk you through in the US going from a Schedule C reporting, you know, sole proprietorship to then having legal structure involved. But I'll just tell you that having a really crisply current and well-considered CPA is a huge investment because the sad truth is you can pay for a CPA and pay, you know, let's just say it costs you, let's just use some number, $1,500 for the year for their services and you can get dismal or wrong service. Or you can pay someone <laughs> the same amount and get literally life-changing advice, tips, outcome, and uh, service along the way. And so the difference is just finding the quality professional. So I would really encourage everybody, if, especially if you're just starting out and you don't know really a lot of business professionals in your community, talk to people who are in business. Say, just say to them, hey, who do you use for your as your CPA? Do you have a tip or a recommendation for a local CPA that you trust? And, and do that multiple times and get yourself networked into meeting with somebody And I would just say, do a 30 minute phone call or sit down where you talk to them. And it's basically an interview and they are interviewing for a job. And if they blow you off or not interested in that level of discourse at the beginning, then it's a good tip that they're not the right person for you anyway. And so that would be, you know, a a really, really (laughs) impassioned suggestion because I, I, you know, I have had, you know, it's important. I've just seen situations in which it wasn't done well and, and people pay the price personally, for the incompetence or lack of knowledge of their CPA.
0: Absolutely true. I would say, first thing first, they've got to get e-commerce. So to your point, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's really, really important. And it is a very different business model. Even somebody mm-hmm. you know who's familiar with Amazon, if you're single channel, it's going to be quite different from somebody who's very familiar with Shopify because the, the cash flow characteristics are very different and the way that the business model works. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is a uh, dog is for life, not just for Christmas. <laughs> An accountant is not just somebody you phone up at the end of your tax year, <laughs> or let's face it, nine months later, whatever the rule is in the U.S., um and you find out that 18 19 months ago you made horrendous decisions and you only just found about them now mm-hmm. um i really think the key is to get that monthly uh, accounting which means also not just an accountant but uh, along with your accountant's blessing a bookkeeper mm-hmm. and again two simple points which i've managed to mess up a few times so i can speak from experience of doing the wrong thing here get a bookkeeper who understands e-commerce get mm-hmm. a bookkeeper who works within a framework that you've yep. agreed with your accountant because otherwise you're going to be the person stuck between very different approaches and very confused and i think the key is to get your cpa involved before you set up your accounting system yep. get them involved in the bookkeeper choice and make sure that they check in and make sure that, that the system is being run by the bookkeeper and then it's all got yep. kind of a unity and it makes kind of some kind of sense as well
1: yeah, I totally agree. And if people are listening to this, and you say I don't have any idea who could do bookkeeping for me that knows anything about e-commerce, and you need a tip, just reach out to us through the contact form. I have a referral I'll give you. I have no affiliate uh, deal or anything like that, but we we have a, a service we've turned clients onto repeatedly, and 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 people love the bookkeeping service that we we recommend that we personally use in our business as well. And so, if you need a resource recommendation, just you know to to have somebody to interview or talk to, we're happy to give that out to you. Just go to the
0: ecommerceleader.com and reach out through the contact form. And while I think of it, I mean, because I don't think there's any conflict here, because obviously you would know the the US tax advisors. If you want a good UK mm-hmm. tax advisors that understand e-commerce, yeah. again reach out and, and mention me, Michael. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be in, right, you in right. touch with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yep. So that's that's very obviously critical stuff. Now the next yep. one you were saying is somewhat different. So getting a profit-minded business coach or mentor is your next thing. So I've given away the secret here. Uh, yeah. What, what is uh, what is the difference between that and a CPM? Why do we need both? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the bigger thing people could do for this one, and, and again, the tip is find a business. Uh, mentor, that's profit minded. And this is a real, you know, this can be a real trick. But I would just say the difference between that and a professional CPA is a professional CPA is going to charge you for every half hour you meet with them. And they're going to be looking to file papers or, you know, do something legally, technically for the IRS or Department of Revenue in your state or whatever it is. And so that's very different than having a mentor. Now, your CPA can give you great advice every time you meet with them. And we're fortunate to have a CPA that does do that for us. They, he just gives us fantastic, you know, commentary about our business every time we meet with them. And it's in our best interest to meet with them frequently for that reason. But he's not my business mentor. Uh, my business mentor is somebody I go to breakfast with every Saturday and he's been in business for 30 years. I've only been in business for 12 years. He knows. What you know, a, lot, a lot more than that, a lot more years than I do of knowing stuff, and so and my business mentor is profit minded, and he ha- asks me hard questions and challenges my logic and cuts through the you know bull, and you know doesn't really doesn't really like the. Marketing and sales promotional, you know, word choices I use sometimes when he asks pointed questions about how it really works. And you need somebody like that in your life. I think everybody does. And having a local person who is a uh, savvy uh, entrepreneur that's successful that can meet with you is, is a huge benefit to your business. Finding somebody like that, even if you take them out to lunch once a month or whatever, you know, I think that's hugely valuable. You know, I've I've been going out to breakfast with the same guy for like, eight, nine years now, something like that 10 years. Um, Usually we don't, I mean, we talk about everything. And we talk about business almost all the time, but not always. But you know, like uh, yesterday morning, we were talking about crypto coins, we like and stocks that we like. And then, you know, personal personal life stuff and so but you know he gives me great advice and when i have hard questions he does have good insights he did show us how to set up the uh the quickbooks for our business originally and came over to our house helped us set it up and that was years and years and years ago over a decade ago and so you need somebody like that in your life and i would encourage you to try to network to find somebody and then ultimately
0: be that person to somebody else you know, yeah. For online sellers, nothing beats in-person learning and connecting. Join Ecom Events at one of their four events throughout the USA: Miami in January, San Diego in March, Minneapolis in July, and New York City in October. The conference offers tips and tools to increase sales, food and drink, and real connections to other sellers and experts. Head over to e-comevents.com. And register today with promo code AMAZINGFBA to save $50 off your ticket cost. Very cool. I mean, it's kind of like what you're ending up being really. I would say also that there's a phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think it takes kind of uh, multiple experts to raise an entrepreneur, actually. I believe that Tiger Woods, who may be not flavor flavor of the month anymore, (laughs) having blotted his copybook publicly, but he, at one point when he was at the top of his game, he had seven coaches. It's not because the Mm -hmm. guy can play golf, clearly, but there's one for the swing and one for whatever else you do in golf. So I think Mm -hmm. having a CPA, having a mentor, having a, a formal sort of coach that is not necessarily a mental but somebody can reflect with you in a more formalized way all of these things can really give you a space on mastermind obviously we both run masterminds and see huge benefit there all of these things give you different takes on different spaces different types of interactions and and ways to think um just a couple of thoughts on on coaches or mentors i think it helps if somebody understands e-commerce it's not necessarily the same i guess your Mm -hmm. mentor Mm -hmm. has a different background to you and Again, if they don't have understanding of a particular business model, but they force you to articulate it, that's mm-hmm. good. If they give you advice that would apply beautifully to an Amazon business, but you're running mm-hmm. Shopify only, yeah. that would be less ideal. So you, you need to have somebody who knows their limits yeah. and and has some understanding of your life, I guess. I mean, what are your thoughts? How, how does that relate to your mentor relationship you were describing?
1: Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I think what you're looking for in a business mentor is someone who has sage business thinking and advice from the trenches not somebody who's a corporate mid-level manager or somebody who's like you know the was the C- CEO of some company or whatever you want somebody who was an on the ground battle-hardened entrepreneur that made it work now it doesn't have to be an e-commerce in my view but and, and in fact as i've reflected on my own conversations with ron one of the things that i've realized is my requirement to explain to him e-commerce has helped me tremendously because he just doesn't, it's not his world. Uh, and, and so when I say something, he's like, "What now? How, how does that work? Why do you pay all those fees to <laughs> Shopify or PayPal or whatever?" He's like, "That's outrageous." We're like, "Well, you know." So his mind is just attuned to profit and business, you know, longevity and sales success. And I have to adjust the e-commerce business model to him in a way, you know, just in conversation. I mean, he's not a jerk or anything like that. He's, he's just curious. And uh, and so that to me is productive because then it makes me not just drink the Kool-Aid from somebody who was some guru online who sold some shiny objects to us and we're like, Oh, do it, do it this way where, you know, you, you really just parroting someone else that you, that won't work. If you have a mentor who says, uh, how does this, how does this benefit you now? What <laughs> Why are you giving all this stuff away for free yeah. or you what, know, <laughs> why, why are you, you know, doing, working with these people who you don't even know and you know, yeah. wherever. So those, those, those are, those are the, that's the gold.
0: Yeah. In so a mentoring relationship.
1: I and like it's it <laughs> too, so
0: this reminds me slightly of the conversations I have with my wife about e commerce. He's I mean, as as my you know, my landlord he's who he was sixty years uh, an investor in the stock market, he's retired now. But he said, Yeah, she'd be a great business person. she has got a lot of common sense, which is true. And uh, she's a freelance musician, she's not run a business, but I mean she does she's my challenger of why would you pay somebody X for Y. And and you know, as you say, you've got to be able to justify that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a fun relationship. I mean, yeah. I don't really have someone like that, but come to come to think yeah. of it, I live in North London, I'm surrounded by successful business people. Yeah. I, yeah, I really should go and find myself someone like that. It's a really mm. cool idea. I like it yeah. a lot.
1: Lizeth, who's listening, said, wow, I need a mentor, but I was already tri- by, trying. And Michael Beard said, uh, good morning, by the way, um, from Iowa. So, yeah, th- this question of finding a mentor, you, like what you just, let me respond to what you said and what Lizeth said. As it happens in my cir- circumstance, Ron was in a church small group with me. So, we had other things in common. We had outside the uh, the business world things in common as mutual ground to connect on but and that's how I that's how I met him I didn't know him before that so I if I hadn't met him through that context it would have been I never would have met him and so the question is how do you meet your ideal mentors you know this is the kind of situation where networking and just being friendly and meeting with people I think is is key not asking too much you know you've we've all been in those situations where you meet Someone or you see something on a TV show or something like that, where he's like, they meet someone for the first time and ask if they'll be their mentor or whatever. That's, uh, you know, you have to be relationally smart about it. Why don't you just start by saying to somebody who you really admire, hey, could, I, could we just, could I take you out to lunch and ask you questions about your business? Or in business in general, because I'm new to it. You know, don't ask them about their business. And uh, and, and people who are courteous and gracious with their time will probably say yes to that. And uh, depending on where they're at in their life and, you know, kind of energy level and all that. So, I think that's the that's a trick. And then to the extent that you've gotten trapped or feel weird about it or it's not working, if it's just relational, you can find yourself too busy to meet up with them. Or you can, you know, just kind of, let, you know, let it wind down naturally. If you're in a paid program or a paid system, of course, you can. If you got shoehorned into an expensive paid system and you're not feeling the benefit of it, then of course, that's a risk financially. <laughs> you know, you got to untangle yourself from that, you know, and, and we all join different programs. I'm in strategic coach right now with Dan Sullivan, and I'm liking that this year. Uh, I was in Dan Miller's, you know, mastermind year before that. So to your point, Michael, about, you know, Tiger Woods having six coaches, I, I'm i not Tiger Woods, obviously. Uh, and But I do feel like it's wise to have a multitude of advisors and input and and people you can you know ask questions of and whether they're paid or whether they're doing it for free because you just buy them breakfast every other time you meet or whatever then you know that's i think that's a good way to go ron take
0: turns paying for breakfast just in case you wonder but yeah the the critical question (laughs) to come like like, module three of the 10 (laughs) part how to find a mentor course (laughs) i think what you say is is it is the resurgence of common sense. If you have no kind of social connections and you're isolated, that's a difficult place. And, And weirdly enough, it's so common now with COVID or post-COVID, but also it can be common if people are in the online space, but not fully kind of yeah. launched. Yeah. I think sometimes having a conscious place where you can find people, like a mastermind, can be useful as long as it's run in a cool kind of way. I mean, I'm trying to run things in a way that's not. I don't kind of pitch my members. I sometimes offer them stuff that okay. I've been offered by some of my business partners. So I don't do a hard sell. It's it's not a kind of pack them in and then pitch them. It is genuinely about creating space and it's not exactly. It's more of a peer group than a mentoring group. But if you mm-hmm. if you're hanging around enough sort of social gatherings like that you may find people like that but to your point i think sometimes it's more organic social groups that you're part of where you can because there is no agenda either side you mm-hmm. actually find the people that you genuinely resonate with and I, I maybe to your point having church in common or music or a charity that you're involved with you know might be a very natural way to do it i like i like that thought really
1: yeah I totally agree okay so let's keep going so yes, number five on the list
0: is a very practical one and that is
1: create a cash surplus or emergency fund. Now, many people in the U.S. will be familiar with radio personality Dave Ramsey and his baby steps and Financial Peace University and all that. One of his steps in his system is create an emergency fund. I think that, and that's for personal finances, but I think that logic applies clearly to business. And what you want to think through is what is a catastrophic outage of sales look like to you. And how long could you foresee not having any sales? You know, the whole COVID thing is like, it's amazing, isn't it? Like a black swan event in a way that was, I guess, you know, people technically predicted that there would be such things. But COVID was a real black swan event for brick and mortar retailers, for sure. Many of them have gone out of business because they didn't have a big emergency fund. Others that have big emergency funds weather the storm. And, uh, you know, managing, going back up the the list here, managing debt, I would uh, tie into this as well. Mm -hmm. Having a cash emergency fund or, you know, uh, instantly accessible um, uh, fund is important. Also having uh, credit, in my view, is part of strategically managing your debt. Having, uh, you know, credit available to you before you need it is one of the sage wisdom advices from Paul Hawken and growing a business. I love that book. And he says, when you need uh, a loan, you better have gotten pre-qualified for it <laughs> before you need it, because at the point at which you need it, you will not be qualified for it. And so having good business credit, line of credit or whatever at your bank and that kind of thing is, is important. But anyway, to this point, emergency fund is, is is central, I think. And that's the question is how many months in advance of cash on hand do you need? And that's unique for every business. But I would just say that is a wise way in which to run your business so that there's always a buffer. There's always a, you know, a, a pool of resources that you're not running it down to E in your gas tank, if you will, for your business to mix a whole bunch of metaphors there. But I think that's an important, simple, practical thing. Now, this presupposes that you have a profitable business and, uh, you know, if, go go listen to other episodes if that's not the case but obviously that means that you've got you're running profitably and that you just literally manage that profit wisely so that you have a good solid emergency fund yeah
0: yeah uh, to the to that point flipping that on its head if you cannot put any cash reserves aside that means your business isn't working profitably enough it's it's also sometimes Mm -hmm. a litmus test isn't it especially if you're not if you're still working towards let's put it politely working towards getting your profit clear and your numbers clear then it may be that the cash is a sort of earning walling sign the fact that you cannot put a service Mm -hmm. to one side Mm -hmm. i would say a couple of things about this i was saying this exact thing to a a client the other day who's scaling very fast actually got a shopify business i told him i'm really amazon Focus guy, but he said, No, still want to work with you. I said, Okay, and he's doing really, really well. He's quite ambitious and and doing, you know, very smart, operator. And I said, look, emergency fund for really great reasons. First of all, it creates different relationships and dynamics and decisions. I think it changes your mentality. It means you're not going to smell of desperation next time you try to approach somebody, whether it be to buy from them in a wholesale relationship or to sell to a customer and always offering discounts every five seconds. You know, those are sort of ways that it can show up if you're feeling a lack of cash in the bank. The other thing is the keeping your money as reserves and then possibly using other money to, to run the business. business is something to think through. But the, the main thing that strikes me is the example from Jim Collins, Great by Choice, which is about companies that in the period that he looked at them were highly successful at succeeding in very, very choppy, what is very difficult industries. Microsoft had at that point, and I believe maybe still has 12 months worth of cash in the bank, which would need, obviously, as a publicly listed company, a lot of investors to be knocking at your door saying, why aren't you putting your money to to greater use? You know, return on capital employed is too low. But Bill Gates was a big fan of what he called productive paranoia. And to your point, the black swan events cannot be foreseen. So I think it's really, really wise advice.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It it, it is one of those things where... It's it's discipline, you know, and and you're right. It is bellwether as to whether you're pro- running profitably or not. How easy it is for you to accumulate that cash surplus, and, and you know, people. It's it's a, a wonderful situation in which if you have a good, solid cash flow business, that you can have those choices. And and obviously, if you're not in that situation right now, we're making it all sound so easy. And but <laughs> we've been where <laughs> we've been in times when yeah. it's not easy, and we understand the pain of trying to get from not profitable to profitable to profitable with a surplus that you have to manage there strategically. Yeah. And those are amazing milestones to go through. That's very um, true. Yeah. Okay. So let's do the sixth one. So the sixth one is do a self audit of any legal issues and ensure that you're in maximum compliance. Now this could be uh, a gamut of, of specific things. It could be your operating agreements with any partners or vendors. It could be tax uh, related for the in the US IRS or any local state tax or, you know, county, state taxes, sales tax, et cetera. And what you want to look here for is risk and ask the question, worst case scenario, these people show up and say, I'm out of compliance. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? And there are varying degrees of risk, depending on the situation that you find yourself in. And the biggest risk you can, you know, be in is uh, operating in a way that's not legal, in which case people can take away your, your business from you and that can happen. I mean, I, you know, I remember watching the social network and the saddest part of the whole story about Z- Zuckerberg starting the uh, the Facebook was wow. with his business partner who basically got wound down to owning oh percent of the business even though he was I think a 30 or whatever percentage owner at the beginning. So, you know, those those legal agreements that you sign with people and and vendors and and the like I think are th- something to look through. And, and a lot of times we avoid the minutiae of that because we're just not wired to, to do it. But a good solid risk assessment says, where are we exposed? And how can we clean up any messes proactively? Because I can guarantee you one thing, you're way better off cleaning up messes proactively than you are cleaning them up reactively when you're under the gun from somebody else in that counterparty situation who's mad, upset, claiming something you know, taking you, well, you know, whatever to court, putting legal documents in front of you. That's a much more stressful situation in which to clean up any risk. So that that last one is uh, kind of scary to some people who are new to business. But over time, what you realize is you just didn't know about something. And then you find out about it. And you're like, oh, OK, this is how that works. This is the law. This is the process. This is the contract language. And you have to go through the uh, the hoops to get things tidied up. And I think that's a central part of running for the long term with safety and uh, risk reduction. So there you have it. Michael, what are your thoughts on that one?
0: i think this is really really wise thoughtful grown-up business only advice i think first of all if your uh, you know family's income comes to depend on your business at a certain point if you've developed it to that point you owe it to them as well as yourself to really take it seriously the other thing to say legal is a part of due diligence when you sell your business and if you can't get them in place it may block the sale of the business or you may find they're holding back money i'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars and this is not theory one of the mastermind members sold a business recently for seven figures which is wonderful those seven figures are the total amount he's going to get when the process is done. But there's several hundred thousand dollars being held back because they haven't got some documentation sorted. That's a bit of a major shame. That's a very solid business reason to have some legal documentation. a couple of thoughts as well. I mean, you're saying doing a self audit. I would I would turn to the professionals reasonably quickly for this stuff. I would say one hack. I would say not hack. That's not the right word. But one starting point for me is consider talking to your accountant first. They've often they're not a substitute for a lawyer, but they've often seen a lot of small businesses go through their books. And they've seen some of the basic things that can go wrong. So they're a little bit less risk averse and possibly a bit cheaper than lawyers. Even though doubt, though, you've got to get a lawyer. And I would say, make sure they're a specialist. Don't talk to a UK tax lawyer about US sales tax. That's just a silly thing to do. If they're really silly themselves, they'll even advise you. If they're smart, they'll say, no way, I don't do that. But get a specialist. And yeah. contracts, to your point, can be really critical part of a business that people tend mm-hmm. to DIY I I tend to DIY Mm -hmm. but less than I used to I I tend to look at them more carefully and I am really meticulous if somebody says you can't do xyz in the contract these days I will go back to them and say I don't find this acceptable would we Mm -hmm. could you remove this I don't want it staying in the document and then I'm not complying with it and then there's a a disconnect between how I act and what's in the document even if sometimes they will say things like oh our lawyers just want it in there I, I always say well this is the the written basis on which we're going to operate. So I want there to be no mismatch. And eventually sometimes I will just walk away from a deal because I don't want that kind of mismatch because that becomes something that somebody could use against me in future It's a sort of, you know, a hostage of fortune, if you like. Yeah,
1: no, I totally agree. There are categories of risk that you want to have people help you with. You know, one one is um, in tax related. So there your charter accountant or CPA would would help with IRS or, you know, federal or state or, you know, a sales tax all those issues the other is a contractual agreement so they're a lawyer we work with an intellectual property attorney who has helped us with many many issues over the years and and as it relates to businesses we purchased she gave us basically the template and then every time you know we've I think we, cinnamon and I have acquired 13 brands and businesses every time we do that we use her template but then send it to her and say hey here's our you know here's our our info plugged, the new info plugged in to her template and let her look at it. And that way it makes it very efficient. And so, but there are other categories, you know, the, the sloppiest stuff can just be where you didn't include anyone as a professional in the mix. Like if you just have a, a gentleman's agreement, as they would say over email with somebody you're doing s- stuff with, y- you better dig those out and make sure that you've, you know, kept them and and remember them rightly because you know a lot of drama can ensue so anyway so that's uh, i think that's a, an important
0: final tip there so that's six yeah right i like it yeah and by the way gentleman's agreement is fine you, i think we should act as a gentleman or gentle lady whatever the female equivalent is mm-hmm. anyway but yeah. I, I i would just suggest really simply with this in terms of the relationship with the other person always have a written document mm-hmm always like Mm -hmm. never ever ever just do something verbal because we've all done that in Mm -hmm. in life not necessarily in business and it always comes back to bite you it actually spoils the relationship of the future but what i would say to the person is look i ought to have it really tied down legally but i'm going to be trying to be a gentleman about it and so you have things that are pretty rigid written on paper that within reason but you agree that you know you're gonna be sensible in how you deal with it. And and that's the best way that I found as a sort of middle ground. But having nothing in writing, I, I promise, and I'm sure you've been there, Jason, and you've seen it, it is just a hostage to fortune. Just don't do it. It's not yeah, totally. It. Totally agree. Yeah. Well, look, this is a great list. I really like this topic. It's really proper ownership focused as opposed to just kind of, you know, flashing a pan, get excited, be sold into a course, and then fall apart. Thank you very much, folks, for listening to another episode of the Ecommerce Leader podcast. So, Hopefully some thought-provoking stuff here. This is not stuff for anyone who's just started, but if you have a business that you and your family depend on, I think this is wise stuff from a lot of experience, particularly from Jason. I'm saying it's very wise because I suppose I'm referring to Jason's stuff. I'm going to call myself wise, although I've seen quite a lot of clients, I guess, and myself also done quite a lot of unwise things and between those things i guess they say wisdom comes from experience experience comes from bad judgment so hopefully you can learn from my experience and our client's experience so you don't have to go through that steep rather painful learning curve just to quickly summarize jason's points number one upgrade your financial operating system number two manage debt more wisely. Number three, upgrade your CPA or tax professionals or um, chartered accountant as we call it in the UK. And number four, get a profit-minded business coach or mentor and quite an interesting discussion about mentors. I think as we've discussed really, there's no single person that's necessarily gonna be the only person you turn to for advice an accountant a lawyer a mentor somebody who's been in business for decades and perhaps a specialist coach in e-commerce spring to mind is the obvious people to to call on not to mention of course a mastermind as well if you want to check out the masterminds that jason and i offer basically on opposite sides not just of the pond but obviously jason's in the west coast in seattle and i'm in the uk the sort of western end of europe so quite different physical locations jason's mastermind is part of what they offer at winning on shopify so just go to winning on shopify.com and if you want to check out the uh, mastermind that I run with an element of physical meetings in London every two months, but also online meetings that go to theamazonmastermind.com. Both of those are for established businesses, not those who are just starting out. If you are just starting out, then that's not really the specialist area that Jason and I tend to deal with. But there are things that Jason offers from time to time that will really appeal to you. Particularly, I think the call-in show, we cover a variety of topics, everything from those that are really newcomer friendly all the way to established business owners that we have a hot takes episode live on the call-in app which were also put onto the podcast every tuesday at 8 a.m pacific 11 a.m eastern 4 p.m uk time 5 p.m central european time so if that interests you to hear some hot takes that may be for you if you are in the early stages or some hot takes that can apply to very established businesses then check it out with um, our friends kyle hamer who is jason's partner in crime in coaching businesses and chris green who's very well known to amazon sellers particularly for his retail arbitrage and the book of the same name so um, that's where you can find us of course as ever don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now and if you're on apple Podcasts, we'd love a star rating out of five stars for now it just remains to say thank you very much for listening and have a really profitable quarter